cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Finding wellness during and after cancer treatment can be challenging as you face an unfamiliar and potentially harsh medical landscape. You can feel rushed into treatments about which you know little and cope with a body that may feel like it is no longer your own. How can one develop and nurture a state of wellness that encompasses the mind, body, and spirit? I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. In today's episode, I talk with Chris Ellenberg, who in 2011 was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer. We explore Chris's strategies for finding wellness during and after her cancer treatment. Chris talks about developing a practice around wellness that supplemented her medical treatments for cancer with less conventional approaches such as gyrotonics, yoga, lymphatic massage, acupuncture, Chinese herbs, meditation, and hypnotherapy. We also discuss the roles that community and social support, spiritual practice, and simply taking care of oneself play in the active pursuit of wellness. Chris, thank you for coming in today to speak with me on the Real Cancer Podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to begin with having you give us a brief recounting of your cancer story. Well, I had gone for a mammogram a couple months late past my annual time. I should have, but still in the range. And I was driving home from the Bay Area from a family trip and got the call asking could I come in for a diagnostic mammogram? And when could I come? And I said, tomorrow morning. And I said, what is this about? They said that they just wanted to check some things. So the next morning I went alone and the mammogram turned into, how's your day? Can you stay a little longer for an ultrasound? And the ultrasound turned into, do you have a little more time? We'd really like to do some biopsies. So I knew something was happening, something was up, and it was probably a mistake to go alone because I ended up spending the whole day there and the radiation oncologist was so sweet. She just kept saying, I'm so glad you could stay today. I'm so glad we could do this. And oh, wow. So they did three different areas in my left breast and uh, well, actually two areas in my breast. There were two tumors in my left breast and there was also already, they could tell, um, nodes that were affected in my left underarm. Wow. And I waited a week for the results. The very next day, I was meant to go chaperone on uh, my daughter's field trip to Astro Camp, where we did all sorts of activities, like being in harnesses and climbing. And I was very, very bruised and sore and freaked out. And But I felt like I couldn't bail because I wanted to be there. And it was probably the best thing I could have done to be up in nature, get some perspective, look through a telescope, see the rings of Saturn, and wait, right. wait for the results. <laughs> and luckily, uh, I wasn't really feeling like broadcasting this news. I was still trying to get my head around what was going on. But the woman who I carpooled with ended up I shared with her, and she's now become one of my closest friends, Ella. Uh, we were, she'd made a mixtape for us, and we were driving up to Idlewild. And halfway up the road, I think I started crying, saying, this is just so awesome. I'm having such an amazing time. I love all this music. And I'm going through this and I'm waiting to find out and I just had to tell someone. So I ended up immediately through this experience gaining uh, a great friend and I feel like I've just gained so much. I've just continued to gain 
mm-hmm. so much through this. But a week later, I found out from the primary care physician that I had stage three cancer and that I should have surgery like tomorrow and that I needed to go see this doctor, even though he had a terrible bedside manner. He was the best technically and I should get it right in and I should expect to do surgery right away and chemo and radiation. And I was still oh my processing God. the news and crying with my husband in the room and the guy wouldn't hand me a tissue and for 10 minutes I'm finally like can you just get me a tissue and you know I never saw that doctor again but anyway another kind of came from that appointment ran into another good friend my neighbor who said you can't see a doctor like that you have to go I'm going to make an appointment for you you've got to go see this doctor so that's when she helped me get this other opinion from Pink Lotus and they had a much different approach that Mm -hmm. was more you know I, I remember that primary care physician had sent me to a doctor that when I first walked in said, do you have an advanced directive? Like the very first words out of their mouth before hello, before anything. And they handed me about 50 pieces of paper to start filling out. And I was just like, what? And then the doctor I went to, they had one piece of paper. It said from here to the cure, what's the best path for you? Mm-hmm. And it was, hi, sweetie. How are you, honey? Like It was a totally different experience. And the, the doctor I saw said, you know, I think we don't know enough information yet. We can't give you a stage. We need to do a lot more testing. It was just much more uh, an approach that made me feel less vulnerable and more uh, empowered to get information and make decisions. So, Right. Wow. That's intense. Yeah, it was intense. So, you know, at the end of the day, the surgeon, the other surgeon I saw said, well, we've got to schedule for surgery, like, you know, next week. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> like, I can't imagine just, I know different people have different reactions and right. that's what they say that drives you crazy, but it's so true. Everyone's different. But for me, I had a really hard time knowing what I felt comfortable doing surgically. I didn't, I couldn't really get my head immediately around, just cut this out, take it out of me. That was not my reaction. Right. I felt, you know, getting implants, no brainer, not not my reaction. I just felt like I'm not really an implant type. I'd rather do something less invasive if I could do a lumpectomy. And my surgeon said she thought for me it would be better to do chemo first and see how effective the chemo was on reducing these two tumors in my breast and my lymph nodes right. that they knew was affected and then see how it responded. And that might give me more surgical options, which right. for me was really valuable because it we did see that the chemo, this, I had eight cycles every two weeks and that it was being effective. And then when it did come down to making a decision and I finally actually had to ask her to show me with her hands on my breast, what would a lumpectomy look like? Show me exactly, what would you do? Right. And it wasn't until she said, well, we'd have to take this and that and the other. And then and I was like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> it just made it easy. All of a sudden, mm. after I think I started chemo, let's see, I was diagnosed April 28th. I started chemo in May did my eight cycles, including the seventh cycle was on my birthday. So when I got my chemo schedule, I said, woo woo, we're having a party. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. And it was actually <laughs> one of my best birthdays ever. My oncologist <laughs> made me a homemade flan cake and they decorated the whole infusion station. And I brought silly party hats I raided from our daughter's dress up. And I mean, I had like the head nurse wearing a crown and my oncologist was wearing a full feather headdress. And it was it was actually amazing. Yeah. I was so humbled. In a- Sounds like you were at a great place. <laughs> so you did um, chemotherapy, and um, what what else did you do in sort of tre- intensive oh, yes. treatment? So then after the chemo, I scheduled my surgery for September 16th. 
and I had a double mastectomy and they removed 20 lymph nodes from my left side. And then after the surgery, I had cording and I really couldn't lift my left arm over my shoulder height, but I had just a few weeks to get more mobility because they wanted me to start radiation Right. And less than a month later. So I had to do a lot of physical therapy and working all that out so that I could assume the position for radiation. Ah, uh, yes. Have my arms up. And then I did that, you know, every day for, let's see, I guess through November, into November. Yes, and then I went to Hawaii in December. <laughs> and I put my legs up a palm tree and I swam with turtles and I, you know, there was an amazing yoga teacher happened to be at this resort, which was such a gift because they did everything from eye yoga to all kinds of cool, kooky, uh, Hawaiian-infused yoga. Mm-hmm. And that really was a great experience. Well, it sounds like that trip to Hawaii was very well planned. It uh, put you on the um, road to regaining wellness, uh, which is what we were planning on talking about today. So um, it's really great uh, segue into into our topic. Um, so let's start by just having you talk a little bit about what wellness means to you. I think wellness is feeling well, and it's kind of a state of mind and body and spirit, and it's sometimes elusive feeling, and I feel like once you've gone through what could be a life-threatening situation, it's hard to sometimes separate a life-threatening situation from, oh, this is just a headache, or, you know, you have all those things you think, is this normal? Is this normal aging or is this a cancer thing? So you're always questioning. Mm -hmm. And I think wellness is about just getting yourself in a frame of mind and body where you're not questioning. You're able to live in the moment and accept the moment and take the good out of that moment and, and feel well. And it's not always easy. You have to be active in, in that, but it's something I feel like I still continually strive for and hope for. I don't always feel like I achieve wellness. And I feel like I learn a lot about what it takes to feel well and how do you give yourself enough of a push to do the things you love, but also do it in a way that, you know, it's hard for me. I've always been a pretty active, athletic Right. person who loves the outdoors and takes a lot of solace from nature and and art and so uh, but I've also in my younger years was sort of sometimes a little reckless or and so now you want to try to be a little less injury prone but also do the things you love and and find a balance so it's a big balancing act I think wellness right yeah yeah Um, Well, tell us a little bit about the steps that you've taken towards regaining wellness. What are some of the things that you're consciously doing that make you feel well? There's been a really long list of things, I think, that have helped me throughout this process. I think, let's see, in order of, you know, I mentioned earlier how I had the cording and it was really hard to get and regain mobility. And I remember asking friends of mine who'd been through this, you know, am I ever going to feel like this is my body again? Am I ever going to feel like it's not just this 
body that has these things stuck on it and it's not integrated and whole feeling and what what can can you just say what the the cording is and what the issue is there i mean the cording after the surgery was that it felt like you could actually see it it was almost like someone had laid a cable all the way down from my underarm where they took the nodes out all the way down my arm it looked like a cord under Mm. my arm and it basically was like you were tethered Mm. you couldn't (laughs) you were stuck you couldn't move so physical therapy helped with that i think what helped me the most after surgery was a really good friend of mine who had taught Pilates that I'd done after Lola, my daughter, who's 16 now, was born. I'd started doing Pilates with this woman, Sherry. She had gone on to do a lot of teacher trainings and learned gyrotonic, mm-hmm. which gyrotonic is amazing. And I think for any woman who's had mastectomy surgery, I mean, my friend Sherry, who teaches it, had kind of coached herself through her own surgery when she had a hysterectomy doing it. But gyrotonic helps with mobility in amazing ways. Hmm. And so that was a huge help to turn the wheels of the gyrotonic machine and and just get into these places and get into this tissue and get into where you feel like you sort of have these numb sort mm-hmm. of dead parts in your body that you need to kind of reinvigorate and get mm-hmm. get alive again. I wish every woman had access to gyrotonic after And so is that this. through stretching or through strengthening? It's, How does it it's work? It's both. It's stretching, it's stretching and strengthening. You can go to gyrotonic.com to check out what this... It's like a tower and a bench and two mm-hmm. wheels, and then you can do leg work with your feet and straps. It's sort of Pilates-esque, but um, it can really get into the the sides of your body where where for me I had a lot of that scar tissue mm. so it really that was a huge thing that helped me feel well after surgery was gyro, gyrotonics uh, another thing I did that helped me feel really well was uh, my breast surgeon actually had recommended to uh, that I go to the Tao of Wellness and see Dr. Mao who's a 38th generation Chinese medicine doctor so to have your breast surgeon referring you to this, I mean, I'm a big believer in, you know, you need to combine sort of Eastern, Western, I mean, for me at least. Right. Uh, that really was, because that helps you, I think, mentally and physically to feel well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when you're a patient, you feel very vulnerable and you're being treated upon and it can be, you know, even just the simplest thing, like I have no veins, I'm a veinless wonder, hard stick. So to get my chemo, mm-hmm. the fact that I could get my chemo infusions without a port was slightly a miracle. Right. And because I did the chemo first before the surgery, they could go in the left or the right arm. But after they took the nodes out, now my whole left arm's out of the picture. I can never get blood tests or any kind of you know infusions on my, my lymphedema side. Mm. So now I'm only limited to my right hand, which is really hard to get, you know, a stick. But right. But um, anyway, what seeing Dr. Mao did was a combination of things. He was able to help treat my side effects during chemo. So I had, you know, things like they said that the drugs I was on might, they might cause neuropathy. Yep. And they described it as you might feel like you have sand in your hands. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, what are you talking about? That's not even a thing. <laughs> Until all of a sudden one day I was like, I have sand in my hands. Ah! And it was such a bothersome yeah. You know, I couldn't work. I couldn't sit at the computer. I just, my hands were just, I was out of, they were out of control. I couldn't. So when I saw Dr. Mao and told him I was having these feelings, he said, well, we'll treat it now. And next time before you have chemo, come see me and we'll treat it preventatively with acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And then the herbs that I took from, you know, the Chinese herbs helped to build my immune system. And uh, just the meditation of, of sitting there listening to, he has different recordings you can listen to. One is like a, 
meditation of him sort of relaxing your whole body from mm-hmm. your top to your bottom. One sometimes just music, but it just gave you that mental break in your mm. between all your other things you're going through to just focus on opening, you know, emptying your mind and just being having it filled with things that are building you up, building you up toward feeling well. It sounds a little bit like you felt like you were being held and cared for in a way that is different than the medical intervention, which is very kind of harsh. And this was more like uh, treating the the all of the effects that uh, come along with that harsh treatment that are really hard to live with. Yeah, I mentioned that primary care physician had given me the news that I was stage three and this was really serious. And Versus, technically, I came out to be stage 2B because I had, of the 20 lymph nodes, they took out three were positive. And if I had had four to nine, I would, then I would have been stage three, but right. I'll take, I was stage 2B, I'll take it, you know. Really. But what Dr. Mao told me the first time I met with him, and I was sort of in tears, and I had all the different emotional reactions to being diagnosed. My mother had had breast cancer, and she had it, you know. I was about 10 years younger than she was when she got it. So I wasn't shocked to have it, but... I just, you know, I never really knew my grandparents, and so I just was holding on passionately to this dream that I wanted to be a grandma someday. Like, I'm sort of living to be a grandma someday. Not that I'm in a rush. My kids are teenagers, but <laughs> I just felt like I didn't get to experience grandparenthood on, as a kid, so I would it would be such a gift to yeah. experience it. And I was sharing some of this with Dr. Mao, and he said, you know, you will be a great-grandmother. Not just a grandmother, a great-grandmother. Like, he just had this positive attitude about it and shared right. stories of other patients who'd been told they had months to live, and now they're swimming with dolphins in Hawaii, and, you know, years later they're alive. So it's hard when you start, you know, going on the Internet and looking at the American Cancer Society and reading statistics and making yourself crazy and... Even my own breast surgeon was like, oh, don't go to that. Don't do that. Don't do Because you can't, every person is different. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I, I barely ever did that because everything I read was such bad news that I just <laughs> thought, I'm not, I'm not doing this. It's going to be counterproductive. So you've, you've talked about some of the things that you did um, physically, the um, exercise that you did, the kind of physical therapy, the acupuncture, et cetera, the herbs that you took. Um, how about uh, community and, and social networks? What, how did, what role do they play in, in your wellness? Huge. And that was another thing. And I feel like I mentioned the, the gift of the friend that I got when I first shared in my most like, vulnerable moment. And I think that it was just, just, it's been such an eye-opening experience because I was always like the kid in high school who had a lot of different friends from a lot of different groups, but I wasn't really a big group person. I didn't feel like I was, you know, I was involved in activities, but but after going through my first couple treatments of chemo, a neighbor had mentioned, oh, you should talk to this neighbor because she's been through this already. And so I didn't even know this woman, but one day I noticed, you know, we were sort of catty corner from each other. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see each other, but I was coming home with the girls and I saw her and I kind of went over saying, excuse me, I hear we have something in common besides I'm your neighbor that lives over here. And she was just oh, I'm you know, sorry to hear that. And we were sitting there chatting for a while and she then invited me in for tea and then we sat and talked and then she said, well, you've got to come with me to my breast cancer support group. And I don't know if I would have necessarily on my own been the type of person to join a group like that, but right. she was there and she had me and she brought me and just meeting these women, it was so inspiring to meet women who'd been through it in different stages. And it was also so valuable to share information and the fact that, oh, you see this doctor and they say this and I see that doctor and, you know, 
you know, you just, it was this pool of info, like a support, it was a support group that really did support you with just emotionally and, and we would meet about once a month when everyone was really in their active treatments. Now we still actually have like sort of quarterly get togethers and we have a secret Santa holiday gift exchange every year. And it's, they, these women are just wonderful. And we had every, everything from a 23 year old woman who was diagnosed at that age, who's now uh, in her late twenties and engaged and surfing and uh, to, you know, grandmas. And it was also very cool to just have all these different women in different stages of their lives and real cross-section right of women so what year were you diagnosed in 2011 2011 so it's been this is 2017 now you've had uh six years and you're still connected to some of those people oh yeah we still yeah i was just talking with them the other day and that was just that particular group but then there's just been, like I mentioned, new friends I've made, people I've connected with. Uh, just I feel like I have a lot more people in my life through this, even though I think, you know, being a person who works and you have, you have those work relationships, being a parent, you have those parent relationships. But uh, I didn't really take time to give myself just my life relationships. I think after, you know, you get in this set of being a mom and 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 you're not the priority. So I think I just have... I feel like I have a lot more friends now <laughs> and it's a deeper friendship because it's um, you sort of immediately connect on a deeper level and, and get it and can enjoy all the other good things in life too but I also had friends who came you know one of my best friends was living in Europe at the time and she came to visit me for a week and that meant a lot to have her there and had family that came from out of town to help after surgery when I couldn't you know even hold the leash to walk my dog I couldn't right. drive a car and you know, I, both of my parents had been deceased, so it was just a lot of people stepped up. And when my best friend from growing up came out to see me, and I was bald and wearing a wig, but we took our daughters to see the Taylor Swift concert, which was just this great night with a limo. And it was just these things that really helped to have you, again, feel well and lift your spirits. Um, and remember that this is what you're living for and that there's still, you know, beautiful things in life. Right, yeah. And then... Um just looking at a, a particular community that your family is part of. I know that your husband's Jewish and your um, daughters have um, gone through their bat mitzvahs. Um, what role does uh, this Jewish identity, this belief system, the values play in your um, sense of wellness? That was another real source of support. I was brought up Baptist, and my parents were very devout Christians, and so marrying this wonderful Jewish man and, and marrying into that tradition and that tribe, uh, I'd always felt kind of conflicted about, and I think that had been a big source of stress, and I feel like this experience of going through breast cancer made me feel like, no, this is not a thing to be stressed about. This is a thing to accept, and, and it's a beautiful thing to keep these traditions alive and to be a part of it, and it was really sweet. My husband, who like many Jews, sometimes would more identify himself as an agnostic. Uh, he, in the first week, I think, of my diagnosis, had mentioned that he heard that the synagogue was having this healing service that was being led by a rabbi, and he said, maybe we should go. And it was the first time he'd come close to remotely suggesting anything spiritual for us as a couple, and it just meant so much to me. And we went, and it was amazing. To I was still in that shell shock stage, and this lovely rabbi who led it, there was a group of people and they made a circle and they asked if anybody wanted to come in the middle who was going through something that they needed specific you know, help for and it felt very powerful to have that circle of support and those blessings behind it and then 
it ended up that the rabbi had also been a breast cancer survivor, so that was inspiring to see people who'd been through that. And we were able to actually, she actually gave me a lot of helpful information about her situation. And then I went to a few different services that she led, and one of them was super interesting. It was about, uh, they had a yogi who had sort of translated the Hebrew alphabet into a different yoga pose for each. So you would do these sort of moving meditations that were like a moving prayer in, in yoga. It was very cool. So I love that mixing of traditions, the, the Hebrew uh, vinyasa. <laughs> yeah, she really felt like this is the future of faith, is that mind-body getting into that connection. And it's, it's interesting, a friend of mine had said, had been through this, she was the first person, a friend of a friend, who had said, she, oh, you want to come and see my implants? And I'll tell you all about it. And like when you're, yes, you know, when you want to see something that's not on the internet and you want to kind of know what you're dealing with. And she was the first one who told me that she had seen an acupuncturist the day of her surgery. And at the time, I had never done acupuncture. And I, she, I was like, how could you possibly want to have needles stuck in your body after you just had your dents cut off? Like, that's right. <laughs> but I just didn't get it. And then uh, she's like, you know, get your prana flowing, get your chi flowing. I'm like, what are you talking about? But then when you feel those sensations in your body, you know what, you know what you're talking about. And you know that it makes you feel well. So um, I did the same thing. Months later, I had an acupuncturist come to my recovery center the day of my surgery just to help detox from all the anesthesia and to get my immune system kicked in and to get that chi flowing. Yeah. You know, I'm just struck. You, you talked about yourself as a young person being very athletic and um, maybe a little reckless, and but, but connected to your body. But it sounds like this experience has really connected you to your body in this different way, a, a more complex way. I think so. I feel like I was actually that, that one my friends of mine would say, I'm ovulating at this exact moment. And I would be like, what? I'm, I didn't feel that, that in touch with my body. And I don't, I do feel like I am more, you know, I listen to it more because it says more things to me. <laughs> And, and, you know, one thing I should mention is that I remember hearing about lymphedema and thinking, wow, of all the stuff I've gone through, I, please don't give me that, you know? And then, of course, I had it. And it was just, even though surgery seems much more drastic and chemo is much more of a drain and radiation can, you know, burn you at the end. And it was something about the lymphedema that really set me off because it was just like, really? This is a thing you got to deal with now that's chronic forever. And it's, you know, the reason I, I first had my lymphedema, my first lymphedema flare-up was maybe a year after treatments. I was able to finally get back in the mountains and have a couple ski days. And I'm thinking, I'm living life again. This is great. Then I look down and my arm looks like Incredible Hulk. Like it's just in a weird shape and I lost all my knuckles and my tendons and my hand. You couldn't see. It was just like a fat hand. Wow. And it's just like your body, it's out of control. You can't control it. And it's, it's like, ah. And you, it also, I never felt very patient as a person. I always felt pretty much pretty impatient. Right. <laughs> and lymphedema is a lesson in patience because it takes time to get man, manual lymph drainage, mm -hmm. to do a self-massage, to wear the right compression garments that are oh so sexy. <laughs> and But I have to give a shout out to Lymphedivas because they make really cool sleeves that look like tattoos and stuff so you can feel like a rock star. I know. Our, our listeners can't, can't see you because it's a podcast, an audio podcast, but you uh, have come over today with uh, 
one of your sleeves and a, a glove. Yes. And um, so you you wear those when you exercise, you told well, me. Well, now, right? you know, I just actually got back from seven ski days up in the Tahoe area, and it was awesome. And now, I, I, you know, the time that I had my first problem, I didn't. I realized you needed to wear a sleeve on a plane, but I hadn't really equated that to elevation mm-hmm. and realizing that duh, that's, you know, another issue. So, I mean... Temperature changes can set it off. Getting bit by a bug can set it off. You just have to protect that. My, for me, my left side, I have to protect it. I have to sort of baby it. I have to take care of it. And I have to be conscious of thinking, if I want to be well in my arm and not feeling the effects of this, I need to do my self-massage. I need to wear this when I exercise or when I'm at elevation. And you manage it. And I'm just so grateful that I have it to manage and that I can live life in it. And just being up in Tahoe, I knew I needed to wear it on the drive up. I needed to wear it every day I skied. I needed to bring my special thing I sleep in. I have a Jovi pack thing that's like a big oven mitt. I look like the Michelin man, but it's like a huge thing that goes all the way up my arm and it mm-hmm. helps it maintain. And I have to, I get my feedback as my therapist tells me and you get to kind of have a feeling of what could set something off and what could you manage and keep it in check. And it's, you know, luckily it's getting in check. And if it ever kind of looks like it's having a problem now, I can go see my manual lymph drainage specialist and get a nice mellow massage and know that I need to manage it, do a little more active management of it. But yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, the one of the chronic aspects. So you're managing your wellness, um, but uh, we all have moments when our our mood dips and the enormity of what you've gone through, I'm sure, hits you sometimes. Uh, What do you do to help you when your mood dips to get yourself back to where you want to be or or maybe to to sit with that? What's your strategy? You know, I'm trying to think because I definitely had tons of mood dips initially, and I think a lot of people helped me through those. But I feel like I've sort of put this practice in place. I feel like I used to just have myself be the last priority and I would work crazy hours and not eat regularly. And I just don't do that anymore. You know, that's that's part of the gift of cancer is like, you know, I think it kind of, it gives you this card. You're dealt this cancer card. Now you right. gotta play it. And it gives you this card to play. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna do those things to myself anymore. I'm not, you know, if I'm busy on a project, I'll work on it, but I'm not gonna like, lose sleep over it I'm not going to work myself to the point that my eyes are twitching and I'm like you know a mess and if I it's not like it's perfect balance but if I feel myself heading that way I know that it's time to walk on the beach and I think also the practices I've put in place like I do at least two maybe three you know gentle yoga classes a week that include some meditation or I you know just trying new things I feel like as an adult you kind of get in these patterns and then you go through this something comes in your path like cancer and it's like no this is the time to stop and re-examine and be introduced to a lot of new experiences, like from acupuncture to, you know, all these things. One thing I did uh, before surgery was hypnotherapy, which I'd never done before, but a really good friend of mine, Sherry, who's my uh, gyrotonic Pilates teacher, she had done a trade with a hypnotherapist before her hysterectomy, and I felt like I wasn't feeling that anxious about the surgery, but I felt like it just gave me, the whole experience of cancer gave me the attitude of, you know, if... If someone I love and I trust is is sharing with me something, I'm willing to try it. And I feel like everything I tried ended up helping me tremendously. 
whether it was acupuncture, whether it was hypnotherapy. I did like four sessions before my surgery and she felt like, well, let's talk about your anger and the anger that you have about this. And I didn't really feel much coming up. But when she said, well, let's talk about sadness, Mm. I felt like I was just this overflowing river waterfall of having lost my mom and lost my brother to a brain tumor and losing my dad and losing my nephew in Afghanistan. And I just was holding so much sadness in me that I Mm. needed to get it out. And it felt really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming in and uh, and sharing your thoughts on, on regaining wellness and your experience with cancer. It was my pleasure. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Please subscribe to Real Cancer wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via Twitter at Real Cancer Pod and email us with episode ideas at realcancerpodcast at gmail.com. If you know of someone who'd be a terrific guest, I'd love to know about it. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. <laughs>